see it here. It's hungtgirl.com. You can, um, as you see, if you enable the Adobe plugins, it's free to do that. The videos will automatically start playing for you. See, just allow them, and the videos will start playing on their own. You'll get a lot more videos that way. Uh, free videos, subscription videos, or make a donation and help me. All of the above are very much appreciated. Thank you for that. Um, and you can check out that side of me and my friends, the physical, sexual side that exists in everyone. It's undeniable. That you can check out by clicking on the links along the left. And the pictures throughout the site, they're actually videos that will start playing for you that way. Um, but here, you can also check out the Living Water Chapel page and the um, Naked Truth pages there. And see what it is we do here on the Naked Truth. And that is focused on what I believe to be what we call the spiritual side. That I also believe exists in all of us, whether we... Um, are aware of it and acknowledge it or deny it and neglect it it's still there like a yard like my yard in fact um but anyway so it's still there and that's what we do here we focus on the spiritual and for me that um boils down to christianity but not um christianity as people practice it nowadays but actual original true christianity where you actually listen to what jesus christ to its name for had to say and live by that not just here, but in God willing, hereafter. Anyway, this is for believers, clearly. Um, so anyway, that's what we focus on here on the living water. I mean, on the naked truth. And to pick up where we left off at. Um, oh, and one other thing. So you may wonder why it's all dark here and everything. The rest of the site of hungtgirl.com is all of, the, all of what you want to see. What you might have been expecting. Everything you might have been expecting is right there. So this is not about that. So I'm going to back on up. So excuse the unflattering shadows. And um, it's easier to read the screen from back here. And like I said, if you want to look for the stuff that's been a little more polished, that's what the rest of the site is for. Here, I'm going to get comfortable and try and share what I think means a whole lot more uh, with you now. So um, to pick up where we left off at. We're, it's Monday, so we're on Matthew, the Gospels. That's what we focus on. And it turns out um, the things Jesus has to say is very different than what churches and what your parents and what you may even believe yourself um, if you go by what he actually said. And the only record we have of actually, what he actually said, not the only record, but the basically universally around the world accepted a record of what we had of what he had to say is written for us in the gospels and it turns out out of the whole bible which mentions many different gods believe it or not um it only has six books out of the 66 books that are dedicated to or even mention what jesus has to say and you find those in the red letters and in short that's what we focus on here so to pick up where we left off the book um of matthew and here's a perfect example of the passage that stood out to me in that chapter um, of what how religion will twist what Jesus says or even skeptics will twist what Jesus says to benefit whatever their own motives are. Uh, okay, so this, the one that stood out in Matthew 24 was the very first verse to me. I'll read it and tell you what the uh, very first part of the chapter. Um, then I'll tell you what, it, what I understand it to mean. 
Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So preachers and teachers will twist this to say, even though we know historically, not put the Bible aside, we know historically that the temple was destroyed in around 70 AD. And even that, I say around because the date is not set in stone. We don't know. It was a long time ago. And dates and calendars were not something that always were. So keeping track of time and whose time it is is not a perfect science either. But as far as we know, it was around 70 AD. Uh, when the temple was destroyed as some preachers will, will try and preach that this has not happened or come to pass yet it's not a fulfilled prophecy skeptics particularly will do that but as we looked over in the last reading of this um of this book of matthew we i showed you where we found what um what we fought you have to follow what's said and then also notice what jesus says so what is said is they're talking about the temple that's the subject and the buildings of the temple it says it right there so when um jesus tells them not one stone shall be left upon another that already happened the temple is gone it has not been rebuilt it may be rebuilt at some point uh, but it has not been rebuilt since then and every stone was overturned intentionally to make sure that they didn't have anything left of it so this prophecy already came true and some preachers will try to say it has not come true because there's a portion of the wailing wall left there but that wailing wall was not the temple that's a retention wall for construction of the city that is still left over from the old city but again follow the topic and the subject and they're talking about the temple they're not talking about the walls of the city or anything else they're talking about the temple and the temple is gone so this prophecy already came true true and it came true when most of the by the time most of the prophets had already prophets i'm sorry disciples had already been murdered martyred killed however you want to say it however it's most acceptable for your platform before they were martyred i guess that'd be the proper and correct way to say it they were put to death for their belief their political their um religious convictions and i say religious convictions because also we know that from the Bible, Jesus' teachings end at the book of Acts, at the very beginning of it. So the pre preachings and teachings of even the disciples and even the non-disciple like Saul and then Paul, um, those are their own words. Those are not Jesus' words. Those are not God's words. They're not in red. So you know they're not Jesus' teachings. So why would you try to follow that if you're going to try to say that you're a Christian? If you want to say that you're whatever religion is wrapped up in their beliefs, Catholicism comes to mind, then that's another thing. Then that's fine that you're welcome to believe what you want. But if you're going to say that you're a Christian, because that's a totally different belief system set up on what Christ had to say, then you can't conflate the two preachings. So anyway, that's where we left off. And uh, we're going to pick up Matthew chapter 25 now. Let's see. And again, to the Bible.com people, I thank you for making it a lot easier to make this uh, reading happen. God bless you for it. So we're going to pick up where uh, Matthew chapter 25 now. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So Jesus is giving us a parable here. And I guess just in case you're not familiar with the Bible, I'm imagining if you're at this point, you probably are. But just in case you are, this um, 
the Bible I like to use and refer to, let me see if I can make the page move up quicker, is the New King James Version. That's what this NKJV means. And I like it because it stays pretty close to the intent spirit of the original, the King James. Um, but it makes it in a language that's easier to flow and understand and even makes the subject a little clearer sometimes. But then sometimes you should, and I don't do it enough, uh, cross-reference with uh, original King James. And even if there are copies of um, even older versions of the books available, if you really did want to look further. But anyway, that's where we're picking up at. Um, so, and the heading is what I did this for, was to show you that the parable of the wise and the foolish virgin, virgins is what Jesus is talking about here. So he's talking about um, 10 different um, virgins, uh, presumably women, um, getting ready to marry the same person. So I let you know again that marriage is, has changed over the years, even by Jesus' own parable. You know that that would not be acceptable nowadays, but it is the parable Jesus used. So that, again, lets you know marriage is something that's just for here. As Jesus has said before, it's not something that it continues in the hereafter, whether your marriage was happy or miserable. The oath the, is here. It's, it's recognized by God because you make an oath and promise, but it's not recognized by God in the sense that it's going to continue in the hereafter. And if you want to check that out more. You can see that in Matthew 22. We read that a couple of readings ago, a few readings ago. So anyway, Jesus is saying 10 of them are getting ready for to marry somebody. And so it's a big deal. They're all getting ready and they want to be ready. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. That's pretty clear. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So the parable I believe Jesus is laying out here is, is um, letting us know what it's like for God getting ready to come again, for Jesus to come a second time, for Jesus to come and bring a conclusion to the crazy and claim, put separate the sheep from the goats. And when that time comes, the judgment. And he's saying, I think what he's saying here is that there's going to be 10 different people who are going to call themselves being righteous and pious and holy and devout to God and all of that. But um, it, as it turns out, five of them, half were wise and half, five were foolish. So I think the parable he's drawing for us here is it's going to be about a true devotion to God. The five who claim to be and the five who actually are. But we'll go through it a little further just so you can try and understand what I believe he's trying to say. Those who were foolish took uh, their lamps and took no oil with them. So that would be like people who are Christian in name only. They claim to be Christian. They claim to be righteous. They go to church every Sunday or whatever their holy day is and whatever their holy place is. I say church, but again, it could be a temple. It could be a synagogue. It could be a teepee. It could be whatever, wherever holy place it is. They go to, in their hearts, reach out to God. And um, But Jesus is showing what that's like. Those who are foolish um, um, are believers, but they didn't have any oil. So that's like claiming to be a Christian, but not actually doing anything that Christ actually said. But you do claim it. So you have the lamp, um, but you don't have any oil to actually feed that lamp. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the wise actually are claiming the belief, the faith, and actually putting works into it, behind it. Um, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. 
So again, it lets you know bridegroom there is singular. It's 10 of them waiting to marry one person. And by today's standards, that would be illegal. Um, but it lets you know times have changed. The terms of marriage have changed over the years. And in some places, it is, places it is still legal for uh, particularly usually a man to marry as many women generally as he wants to or as he can support. And sometimes they're even his family. That's just how the world is. Like his own offspring marrying them. But that's, again, it's how the world is. And it's nothing new. Um, There are examples of it in the Bible. Going all the way back to Genesis, even the very beginning. When Lot escaped Sodom and Gomorrah with his daughters. He had sex with them and had children from them. So that's an example from the very beginning. That marriage, and it's... And family and it that kind of stuff goes way back and it's nothing new um uh, let's see so he's saying while they slumbered and slept um the bridegroom was delayed so this would be while people are waiting for jesus to come again that would be like now but it's pretty much any time since jesus was crucified and resurrected um to a second coming so for two thousand years people are waiting um, and many people have written it off as, oh, that's not going to happen. That whole thing is done if it ever even happened in the first place. Um, and at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Go out to meet him. So um, that would be like if the second coming, when it, everyone notices that it's happening again. But in the parable, the bridegroom has come now to receive himself, to himself, those ten uh, um I guess they'd all be fiancés or um, brides. Yeah, brides, all of them. He's come to receive them. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So this kind of sounds like how some sects of the um, uh, Islamic religion, particularly the extremist ones, the radical ones, will preach to their followers that um, awaiting them in heaven are a certain amount of virgins and they really believe that to the point they're they're willing to kill themselves and even blow themselves up and uh, blow up innocent people. Um, and as crazy as that sounds, it's no crazier than the U.S. sending their youngest, best and brightest, or at least their youngest and sometimes most desperate, out to wars to support things like oil or territory or power. It's no different. It's just the means that they use to do it. And in, um, in this case... He's saying, now the time's come. All of those ten um, realize he's here. We got to get ready. So they trim their lamps too. And that's like an oil lamp. Did I skip one? Um, then all those virgins arose and trimmed the lamps. So, yeah, that's like an oil, old school oil lamp. And I have like an emergency one for hurricanes and stuff. Um, some it's it's It has a wick. It's like a candle and a... And a it's like a candle but with fuel at the bottom basically instead of wax and you um but in this case that's um what they had they had wax at the bottom and that's how they lit their candles and for light because you know there was no electricity back then at that time that we know of um so anyway um now the time's come the moment of truth when you have to present yourselves to the groom as the one who's been waiting for him similarly be like the second coming when the sheep are divided from the goats then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps so they trimmed their lamps so they could burn and the light won't go out the foolish said to the wise give us 
you could think about this like if you a birthday candle when it's getting low it'll start to smoke and then go out when it gets to the bottom so it's similar she the five of them are running out of on wax oil for their lamps because they did and they didn't bring any more to refill it um i have one close it's the one that i'd like to show you is close by but i when i do the naked truth i actually don't have any clothes on so if i got up things would get exposed and I've already been kicked off one platform. I don't want to be kicked off this one. But you can search it and you'll see what it looks like. Um, so anyway, the five that weren't ready, the five who were in name only, the moment of truth came and it turned out they didn't have any oil, any light, to anything to actually feed their light. Um, so then they're asking other people, hey, give me some of yours. It's time. Can you help me out? And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, no, saying, no, lest there shall not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So there's a couple of things that you got to notice there. One is that the wise ones, Jesus said it's wise for them to say no. They're the ones that are counted no. But at the same time, Jesus tells us if someone asks you, don't refuse them. So it's kind of a mixed message. But in this case, he's saying if you're going to be wise then um, you got to have some for yourself. Like when you're on an airplane and they tell you, God forbid, there's uh, craziness, you know, a loss in pressure. They tell you to mask yourself first before you mask someone else. You have to take care because if in the process of helping someone else, you might drop dead, then there's nobody to help either one of you. So you have to help yourself first. And in Jesus, even Jesus is pointing it out here that it's wise for those to say, no. I can't give you what I have because otherwise I won't have any because there may not be enough. That's what the lest, L-E-S-T means. It means for fear of, um, they're afraid of, they're scared that if I do give that to you, then there won't be enough left for me. And that's a tough place because it seems like you would all, I mean, my first self would also say, you're supposed to give them some, so maybe somehow they should divide some up and help them out. But if you realize what Jesus calls them, he calls it foolish. He calls them foolish for not having any oil of their own. Because all up until this moment, it's not like they were forced to focus on other things. They focused on what they wanted to focus on enough that they got the light. They just didn't bother to um, feed it. And like I, say it in the, like I said in the parable, in my mind, what I think Jesus is saying here is it's not going to be enough to say, Oh yeah, I claim to be Christian. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I feel, I know there's a God. That's not going to be enough. You have to actually have something to back that up to actually show that there is some fuel to that fire and that it's not just a lamp that's on its way burning out with nothing to actually feed it. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in and with him to the wedding and the door was shut. So the five who were wise and didn't share their oil but provided enough for themselves um, and enough to come were uh, led into the banquet led into the wedding they made it to the party um, while the others, others were looking for something to fuel their fire to make their light keep going and I guess that would be like if, the, if in the parable it would be like people, Christians who they haven't fed the light all along they've just claimed to have it and they could show it you know, like they could um, show up at church, but they haven't fed that light at all. So when it comes time, um, that moment of truth, all they can hope to do is go out and look, hope that someone's out there who can help them 
keep their light alive. Um, and that'd be a desperate moment. That'd be a desperate situation because um, Jesus has already told us when that when he comes again, everybody's going to know it. That's how we know that wasn't Jesus who allegedly appeared to Saul in the desert and said that he was Paul and gave him the whole message that Catholics and other faiths will go by and call Christianity. Jesus let us know that that's, that's not him. And in fact, he warned the disciples that that would come. And yet many people still believe that and follow that. And you're free to do that, but it's it, it's the exact opposite of what Jesus said. And it's what he warned you would happen. And he told you, don't be deceived. He tells us, don't be deceived. Afterward, the other virgins also came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. So now those who were went out and were able to keep their light alive because they went out and um, bought some oil, but they were late to the party. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, see how those who are late to the party fare. I do not know you. So Jesus is saying if you go out at that last moment looking for other things to keep your light alive rather than focusing on what he's given us to fuel your fire and keep it burning good luck. Because at the end of the day he's not going to know you. Because at the end of the day you don't know him. You haven't fed your fire with what Jesus has had to say. You've kept your light burning and your wick going just by the grace. But uh, you haven't bothered to keep it, um, keep yourself filled, keep your light burning with anything Jesus actually had to say. So you find yourself in darkness. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So he's, I think Jesus is saying there, no one knows when that second coming is going to be. When that, um, and I wouldn't, I don't blame him for delaying. Look how horribly he was treated after doing everything good and right the first time. I wouldn't be in a hurry to go back to some place where I was treated that way. Wouldn't blame Jesus at all. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So Jesus is giving us another parable here about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, and again, that's a specific term that he uses that he... It's not the same term he used when he was on the cross. When when he was talking about what happens at death, at the moment of death, he used the term paradise then. And in another case in Luke 16, he used the terms uh, Hades for those who go downstairs, basically. Um, not the term hell at all. And in none of the situations was God mentioned, the Father mentioned um, that we'd have an encounter or they had an encounter with God at all. In fact, just the opposite is mentioned. Jesus says when he encounters, I think it's Mary Magdalene after the resurrection, that he hasn't yet ascended to the Father. So that lets us know, even though preachers will tell you all day long to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord, that's a lie. That's not how the path that Jesus took, and that's not the path that Jesus says that we take. It's not even one of the paths that Jesus describes for us Um in the moment we leave this world and pass into another one and there are several different ones and that's not one of them and the one he gave five talents to another two and to another one so he's giving um, a teach according to his own ability and immediately he went on a journey so um did i skip one for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own service and delivered his goods to them so jesus is laying out another parable here of someone who's going on a trip but he apparently has a lot of um stock and supply or something he has something that needs to be watched over his own goods it says so he's got a lot of things and he has servants so we know he has most likely has means um 
So, and he gives them money to do business. Uh, well, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So, he summed up his servants and he's given them money to um, TCB, take care of business while he goes on his own business. And um, you can imagine how he divvied up the money. He, you would, I would think you'd give the most money to the most responsible and so on. Then he would receive the five talents, went and traded with them and made another five talents. So the one he gave the most made an equal amount, had a 100% return. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. So the one he gave two also had a 100% return. So both were pretty faithful and had um, equal results, even though if you measure the total, uh, the one who was given more ended up with more. And that goes back to what Jesus has said, to whom much is given from him, much will be required. Same thing sort of how Stan Lee says with the whole Spider-Man series um, with uh, great responsibility, that whole quote. Um, another spiritual illusion that's in pop culture. Excuse me. And likewise, okay, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So the one who received a lot traded with it and made a lot. The one who received moderate amount, too, he, traded, he did what he had to do and gained two also. But then the one who received the least. So at least um, he did nothing with his. He dug it and hid it in the ground like you would a treasure, uh, like in a hunt, rather than use it. So it, the parable is each of us have been given talents, God-given talents, I believe, um, and abilities. But then also we learn to do things um, also, but I don't think it's I don't think those are the talents that um, Jesus is talking about here. I think he's talking about the God-given ones that people don't use. Because if you take the time to learn something like playing an instrument or something like that, you most likely are going to put you're going to you're going to appreciate that more because you're putting the time and effort into doing it. But if you're naturally able to do something like singing or sports or dancing, you may not. Um, value it treasure it as much as someone who had to work to get it you understand what i'm saying i think i'm i think that's so i think there's a difference and so i think he's talking here about god-given talents because these people receive the five the two and the one not by their own um well it says it's according to their own ability but it's not by their own ability they didn't get it because they went out and earned it he gave it to them according to their own ability so it's what he saw in them and so far he was right the one who gave the most had the biggest return, and the one he gave the littles, the least, uh, did the least with it. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. So, uh, again, the one who got the most um, did the most with it. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So that's the day believers hope for, that God will say we've been faithful and tell us to enter in. And um, if if it happens like that. Um, hoping to please God is the point. Hoping to please their master is the parable. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, 
I've gained two more talents besides them. So again, the one with moderate talent um, used what he had and gained two more. So 100% return, even though it, he was trusted with less. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So that, to me, says that whether God gives you lots and lots of talents, singing, dancing, acting, looks, whatever, riches, a silver spoon, whatever the case may be, if you have all those things, you have the opportunity to use all those things and have that 100% return. But even if God only gives you a couple of talents, like charisma or manners or decency or heart or bravery or whatever the case may be because everybody doesn't have those things but if you're given them and you use them only a couple of them it's still a hundred percent return in god's eyes because you use what you're given then he would receive the one talent came and said lord i know you to be a hard man reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed so this would be the person who sort of spits in god's face and says look I know you have the ability to do what you want to do. If you want to make a tree grow, you can do that. If you want to make it rot, you can do that. So basically saying, it's out of my hands. I know you're able to bless me if you want to or curse me if you want to. So I'm not going to do anything. That sort of attitude. Uh, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what's yours. So that's the person who does nothing with the talent that God's given them. Whether it's public speaking, fundraising, organizing, whatever the case may be, um, does nothing with it. Uh, let's see how that's received in God's eyes, because this is Jesus talking. Again, yeah, it's red letters. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown, and, you, and gather where I've not scattered seed. So this would be uh, the master saying, Look, well, you know how I am. You know that I'm austere is the word that he uses in another place. Hard, tough, not having it. You know that I'm like that. Then why would you try me is basically what he's saying here. And he calls him wicked and lazy um, because he didn't do anything with what was given him. So whether what you whether what the talent whether the talent you're given ends in great success or moderate or failure you have you were expected to do something with it just like this whole naked truth broadcast like one or two people even look at it but that's not the point like just like sitting in the darkness and doing it that's not the point it's not the point of how many or who it's the point of for whatever reason it's what i feel god has told has led me to do so similarly whatever it is that's on your heart whatever talent that it is you've been told to do and you know it's in your heart to do it you'd be wrong for burying it and not doing it because it's expected of you whether it makes sense to you or not it's beyond you it's your part in the big picture of what you're supposed to do is how i understand it to be so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming i would have received back my own with interest so he's saying so at the very least you ought to the the in the parable at the very least the one who's entrusted with the very least if he didn't know what to do with it if he doesn't know how to trade stocks like i'm no great stock trader um with all the volatility and everything and who has the money to do that anyway but um but if you don't have the wherewithal 
to do any of that stuff. At the very least, he's saying you should have put it in on deposit at the bank. So put it in a CD, put it in a savings account, do something with it. Don't just bury it in the ground. Don't just sit on your talent. Don't just do anything. Even if you lost it, even if it goes nowhere, you should do something with it. Don't just let the talent go to waste. That's not why it was given to you. Um, therefore, let's see. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. So, um, what, um, what he had, what the one who didn't do anything, what he had, who was only given a little responsibility in the first place, the least of the three, he was only given one talent. So it's like, if he did fail and didn't do much with it or it didn't, um, bring back a great return, that's okay because, uh, the master, their boss, only entrusted him with one anyway. So at best, if he was to get a hundred percent return. All he'd have is two talents, which is what he trusted one of them with already. So he had a buffer there. He had really no excuse for taking his... I could see if maybe the one who had five talents said, Oh, I'm not going to do anything with this. I'm going to sit on it because it's too much money to play with. Even that wouldn't be right. You're supposed to use it. Even if you don't use it all, you're supposed to use what what you've got. Or like my mama said, you can hold on to $10 all day long and you'll ha- always have that $10 or you can take that $10 and use it for something else and it might turn into something huge. But um, So it's a choice. And the same thing here. You can have the talents and just you know it and you can sit on them and be like, oh, I'm so glad I got these. And you might be incredible. But what good does that do if you don't share it with the world? And the talents can be, like I said, singing, dancing, riches, acting, whatever the case may be. You aren't given talents so that only you can enjoy them. You're given them to share them and complete the picture God is painting. For everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So he's saying there, if you don't use it, then what you have is going to be taken away from you. But if you do if you do have talents and you use them, that's wonderful, like a Michael Jackson or Prince. You're going to have even more talents given to you if you use them um but if you don't but if you have them and don't use them he says what you have is going to be taken away even what you think you have even what you seem to have the talents you do have are going to be taken away because you've wasted them and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth so um at the judgment when that at that moment of reckoning when it's, you're expected to have the lamp with some oil in it, you're supposed to have the Christianity with the acts to back it up, your, or the heart, spirit, the works to back it up. Uh, you're supposed to have the return on the talents the, that you were given. When that moment comes and you don't, he's saying you're going to be cast in the darkness. And that cat word cast is interesting because it's, it's similar to when people it's the word people use in the wiccan religion when they cast and use um words and things for their what we call prayers but they call incantations um but jesus is saying here at that moment that's where they're going to be cast into the darkness um and he's saying it's going to be misery that's what that weeping and gnashing of teeth uh, means um when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him 
then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So when Jesus uses the term son of man, and when others use the son of man, they're um, pointing specifically to what's um, the prophecy of um, the son of man. The son of man prophecy that Jesus fulfills. Just one second. Sorry about that. Like I said, I had to have to cover the camera to adjust things because I don't want to be booted off here. So anyway, okay. So when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. So um, Jesus is saying when that second coming, when that when He appears again. It's going to be a glorious appearance. It's not going to be like how Saul said he ran into Jesus in the desert and only he saw it and no witnesses. It's going to be an event that everyone sees. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So at that moment of truth, that judgment, um, there'll be a division, the sheep from the goats, presumably in the parable. And this isn't even a parable. Um, I think Jesus, let me see. I think Jesus is pointing specifically. This is more like prophecy than a parable. Yeah, this is not a parable. So Jesus is pointing to his, his second coming when he comes again. The judgment day. That um, the sheep from the goats, presumably the sheep, um, the good, the goats, the bad. Um, not anything against the goats. But in your understanding, the sheep would be considered like the gentle docile the following the just so you understand the sheep are the good ones the goats are bad basically all nations will, gather, will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and that's for identity purposes to know which is which and he will set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left so it's Jesus, the Son of Man, as he calls, as he says in the third person, when he speaks about his coming again, um, and he's saying that's who's going to be doing the dividing, who's going to be separating, who's going to say, oh, you're a sheep, oh no, you're a goat, and do the dividing and the judging. Um, so, and Jesus has said there, um, he said similarly in another place that it's not God who does any judging at all. In fact, he says the Father judges no one in the book of John. He says Jesus, the Son, has been all the judgments have been committed to the Son. So when even when people say things like only God can judge me, that's not a Christian thing to say, as Jesus himself says that's not what God's gonna do. That judgment's gonna be up left up to Jesus. And so again, here he's saying it again that it's him, the Son of Man, Jesus, who's gonna be doing the dividing. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepare for you from the foundation of the world so the sheep on his right hand so um thing to notice about that is that it's his right hand so just like um if i hold up my hands now this hand is my left hand but it appears on the screen as my right hand and this hand is my right hand but it appears on the screen as my left hand so if you have to think about he says there the king will say to those on his right hand. So that would be these. Even though to you, to me, I'm looking at the screen, it's on the left. But to me, this is on my right hand. So similarly, when we think about 
just politics in general. The people who claim to be righteous and holy and religious on to us, they're called the right. But if you look, um, to us, they're the right. As you can see them there. But to me, the way I see them and their actions, they're on my left. So that lets you know when people align themselves on one side thinking, oh, the religious right. No, you're actually on God's left from the one looking at you. You're on the left, even though the humans, you're on the right. See what I'm saying? On the screen, on the right. But to God, who's looking at it, it's on my left. If I were God, I'm looking at it, the people who claim to be righteous and holy on humans' right. They're not. They're on the left. They're the goats. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He will set his sheep on the right. His right hand. That, that would be here. To us, that appear to be the liberal left, they're actually on God's right. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. So, um, Jesus is saying those who are, those are the ones that are going to be welcomed into the kingdom. Those are... Um, those are his people. For I was hungry and you gave me food. So Jesus is saying this is how you can tell that they're his people. And um, before I move on, this foundation of the world, preachers will twist this to say that it's the word catabole, which is an old... Uh, they'll use this word as the same word saying when the foundations of the world were laid and they'll say it's the overthrow of Satan and a whole bunch of nonsense but if you look up the word catapult it means foundation as in the laying of a foundation as in the beginning so why they switch it again to confuse and cause people to have to question and come to them for answers which is what religions bad religions do the truth itself should stand on its own and um, be available to anyone at any time. Whereas they need, if you need clarity, um, if you need the truth, if you need to go through someone for the truth, then that sets it up very different. So anyway, that's not what foundation means. And if he was overthrown, then how is, is he still so powerful after all these, all this time? If that's the real truth to the story, that Satan was overthrown, and that's the foundation nonsense. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. So Jesus is saying these are the signs of those who are actually Christians. Signs of those who actually are his followers, his sheep. Those who, when they see someone who's hungry, they feed them. You see one who's someone who's thirsty, you give them something to drink. And whether that's a physical drink because someone is parched and thirsty and needs it, like someone working on your house or whatever the case may be um you offer them a drink mostly partly because you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself so if you're hungry or thirsty you don't want someone to walk past you and leave you hungry and thirsty you'd want them to feed you or give you something to drink i was a stranger you took me in um i think that's being uh, i think the point of that is you're not saying oh I'm in this clique and you're not, so I have nothing to do with you. But a stranger, even welcoming a stranger, something America is has shamefully abandoned when you throw kids and people looking for asylum, which is all legal, completely legal, into cages and forget about them and focus on politics for months, a year now. It's madness, almost a year. Um, it's reality. It's what's happening in America. Uh, but it's not Christian. <laughs> Again, you're not taking the stranger in. You're not feeding them or th giving them um, food or anything to drink. They gave them aluminum foil blankets. 
outrageous. And is the country that supposedly fears God and is Christian? I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was, he says, in prison and you came to me. So he's saying... You saw someone in need and you saw about them. You didn't turn your head the other way. You didn't um, pretend you didn't know that they needed clothes or were sick. Um, and you didn't just go on about your business. You took effort to do what it is you'd want someone to do for you. Not leave you there naked. Not leave you um, sick. Not leave you um in prison, locked up, not visit you. You wouldn't want any of those things. So similarly, if you're going to be one of Christ's sheep, not a Christian in name only, but actually live walking the walk, not just talking the talk, then that's what Jesus is going to look for. And he's saying that's going to be the criteria he's going to use to do the judging between the sheep and the goats. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see... <clears throat> Excuse me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? So at that judgment, the ones who are considered lambs, the sheep, the acceptable ones, the Christians are going to say, Lord, when did we come across you? Like when in our life did we walk and actually encounter Jesus is what they're is what he what he's um, what they're going to wonder what they're going to ask in that judgment day. When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? So when did we see Jesus Jesus begging for money? Or when did we see Jesus hungry and need something to eat? Or when did we see Jesus uh, a stranger and let him into the house? Or welcome into, welcome into our group or campus or fraternity or whatever the case may be? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? When did we encounter Jesus? When along the way did we see you, Jesus? Is what he's gonna was is what the acceptable ones, the sheep are gonna say. When did we encounter you, Jesus? I don't remember along the way in life. When did we come across you? And the king will answer and say to them. So notice now he's gone to saying the king. He's gone from the Son of Man. Now he's the king, and he's the king because he's sitting in judgment with authority. Because remember, he said that that's not why he came the first time to judge the earth. That's not why God sent him. But now, when he comes this the again as the Son of Man role, um, and as the king role in judgment, it's a different story. And so they're wondering, well, when did we encounter you, Jesus, along the way in our life? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So he's saying, so just as sure as you did it to one of the least of these, that would mean the homeless, the maybe not mentally stable, the needy, the less than, the outcast, the whoever it is that does the other. Whenever you did it to them, that's when you showed that Oh, this is Jesus. This could be Jesus I'm encountering. And you did the right thing. You did what you'd want someone to do to you. Is what Jesus is saying. That's when you that's our Jesus moments along our walk in our paths of life. And we said before, it seems many of the things are already laid out and the option, the free will that humans get is to either do the right thing, cast the net on the right side of the boat, or to do the wrong thing and cast the net on the wrong side of the boat. And that seems to be the decision, the play, the 
plot that God seems to enjoy watching play out of what humans will do and what we will do for him, to him, and to each other, and for each other. And when we do things like this for each other, seeing the hungry, the needy, the whatever the case may be, and tending to them, that's our Jesus moment. That's our moment when we're encountering God. That's when God's seeing where our heart is and what path we're on. Then he will also say to those on my on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. So this tells us a few things. The ones who are condemned eat the goats. He's saying to depart and he's calling them cursed. And um, there's reasons. He's going to get into that. But you notice the things he affirms here. That there is a place of everlasting fire. Um, he doesn't call it hell here, but the Hades that he described in Luke 16 had the same thing, uh, tormenting fire. But he says here, the fire here is one that's prepared, as in already set in place, and it's set up for the devil and his angels. So that would mean in a heavenly realm, in a spiritual realm, beyond this one, there is a devil, and there are angels that follow him. So there are divine beings, spirits, uh entities that work toward that end um but he's saying there's a place already prepared for them also now whether it's the same hades where humans who don't make it go that he described in luke 16 or not i don't know but he doesn't call it hell here but he says um an everlasting fire for i was hungry and you gave me no food i was thirsty you gave me no drink so similarly just like the ones who were considered faithful lambs and christian sheep uh, did do what they'd want other people to do to them. The ones who didn't were the ones who did not. Even though they um, saw people who were hungry, saw people who needed something to drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me. So that would be the ones who claim to be Christians but will shoot people at the border or throw them in cages and not feed them or not allow them to bathe not allow them the simple legal asylum that they're entitled to just because they're the others those sort of people that sort of thing those sort of actions the goats it's it shows up in the actions i was a stranger you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me so um neglected all of those things um he's saying um Jesus shows up in all those places, whether it's the prison, whether it's the hospital, or the sick bed, I should say, or wherever someone's sick, or the homeless who don't have clothes for their back, or the stranger, the immigrant at the border. Christ shows up in all those places, and when we show out, show out and don't show up as Christians by caging them, by neglecting them, by not funding them, but instead making sure billionaires, billionaires, make sure they get funds, but make sure there's nothing for the homeless, but we'll step over them. That's showing, that's Jesus you're stepping over. That's Jesus you're making sure doesn't have anything. That's Jesus. And that's the Jesus moments in life that we experience that God looks at. And that's what we're going to be judged by according to what Jesus is saying here. That's where, what... The goats and the lambs will be um, how they'll be separated. Then they also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you 
hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you. So they're saying, Jesus, when did we see you? We don't remember seeing you show up in the prison. We don't remember hearing on the news that Jesus was in the hospital. We would have been there. We don't remember hearing that Jesus needed something to drink. We would have brought it. So what's going on? What do you mean we came across you and didn't tend to you and minister to you? Then he will answer them. This is the goats that Jesus is answering on Judgment Day, basically in the way Jesus is describing it, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So Jesus is saying, Whatever you didn't do for that homeless person, for that uh, orphan, for that mentally disturbed person who isn't able to tend to themselves, whatever you didn't do for them, it's the same thing you did to Jesus. So Jesus is saying those again, those are the moments where he showed up, where he's at, and he's watching to see exactly how what we're going to do and how we're going to perform and if we're going to or if we're going to fail. And I honestly have done both. I've done what I know is right and I've done what I know is wrong and so I think that's the human experience and I think also those are the moments where God shows up and that you don't forget and these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life so Jesus is saying here something that contradicts something else that a lot of preachers will tell you that shows it's true clearly not true Jesus says here there is an everlasting punishment. And he said there's the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that sounds like it's everlasting, not ending. And then some preachers will use Old Testament verses to say that they'll be turned to ashes and that's it. That's not what Jesus says. So you have a choice. You can believe what whatever anyone else says or you can believe what Jesus says. And um, that actually ends this pre this reading. I appreciate you checking out with me. And I hope it was a blessing for you. And that you'll join me again. Um, and I like I said, I realize it's, it's Monday. You generally do Matt and Mark, those books. Um, and for whatever reason, like a fool, I didn't think to uh, add these to the collection as I was doing on Twitch. So um, I didn't do that with the, the other books that we already finished. So I'm going to wrap this one up and I'm going to start again with the book of Mark and catch it up to where I have started um, saving them in the collection. Um, but for indexing sake, I'm going to end it now in this one here now. So um, and then there's Wednesdays where we go over the Gospels of Luke and John and I'll probably end up doing the same with those. And Saturday night, early Sunday morning, where we go over uh, where we're in the Gospel of Nicodemus, a book that didn't make it into the Bible. Um, in the meantime, um, wash your hands, wear your mask, love your neighbor, and thanks again. God bless you. Peace. Stay safe.